Hello, and welcome to X slash C cross-generational cultural discourse. I am Amanda. And I'm Emma. And we're sorry we've been away so long. We actually have been traveling a lot. Um, and also we couldn't find anything good to talk about. Um, but today we're back. We are back and we're going to be talking about persuasion. Ooh, a very hot topic right now, mom. Talk yeah. about that a little. It is. So we were interested in persuasion. Emma and I are both Jane Austen fans. And so when Netflix dropped this latest version of Persuasion with Dakota Fanning. Da Johnson. Johnson. Mom. I can't My say God. Dakota Fanning. Dakota, Dakota Johnson. Johnson. We were God, intrigued. Her stands are going to rip you up. <laughs> JK. We were we were intrigued by this. And so we thought, okay, we need to talk about this. Um and the flea bagification of persuasion. But we didn't want to just stop with that one persuasion. Oh no, we've done a deep dive. We went back to not a deep, deep dive, so we can go back to like the 1960s, but we did go back to the 1995 Persuasion, which was the first Persuasion that I saw in the movie theaters because it was released um, in the US in the movie theaters. It was just a television program in the UK, apparently on the BBC, but it starred Amanda Root as Anne Elliot and Karen Hines ah! as Karen. Uh, Captain Wentworth. And we'll talk a little bit about his performance and why we think, in our opinion, that he is the best Wentworth in the three adaptations we watched. Oh, but we also watched the 2007 one. We just, I was just going to say that. We watched the 2007 one, which featured Sally Hawkins as Anne and Rupert Henry Jones as Wentworth, rather angry Wentworth. And then in 2022, as you are probably aware, if you're listening to this podcast, Netflix uh, released a, a new version with Dakota Johnson oh as God. Anne and Cosmo Jarvis as Frederick, which I would say is a darsification. We'll of... talk about this. We'll talk... You're spoiling. You're <laughs> I'm spoiling. spoiling. Um, and then uh, as William Elliot, I really did like him as William Elliot, Henry Golding, who... who's always so charming. So charming. But, and this and one very slimy. Which is slimy, kind of an but also turn because you don't normally so see hot. him. You don't normally see him cast in those types of parts because he's so handsome. But yeah, he did play a very effective. Austinian villain. He did. Will. He definitely did. But anyway. All right. So. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Um, the new version of. Uh, well, yeah. You've already said that. Never mind. Let's just. Let's just. Let's We're gonna just, just dive it. right Whatever. in. Here Sorry, we go. My beam. Dive right. right in. So, for those of you who don't know the story of persuasion, why are you listening to this anyway? But we'll we'll walk you through a little bit. Um, so it involves Anne Elliot, who is uh, at the time of the when it picks up, um, she is by uh, Austin's age standards, like super old because she's in her late 20s and is unmarried. But I think it was eight years previously, she had been engaged to Captain well, he wasn't a captain then, but she'd been engaged to Frederick Wentworth and her family objected to this. And so she and was Lady Russell. Was she was persuaded friend. by her family, but also Lady Russell, who was a friend of her mother. Her mother is deceased. And so it was kind of like a surrogate mother who advised her to break off this 
unacceptable connection um, because he didn't have any money and she regretted it ever since. And it actually turned down other suitors such as Charles Musgrove, who ends up marrying her super vapid narcissistic sister, um, Mary. So uh, there's all these kind of interesting uh, familial things happening that are set up. Um, and also um, class-based things, which is another thing that, of course, Austin loves to investigate. And so there's a lot of little side plots, as is typical. Um, and, of course, there's an estate at stake. Um, there's no male heir, which is another favorite trope in Austin novels. So, you know, these women in the story are economically precarious in various ways. And so these are the driving engines of the drama, is who's going to get yeah. married to whom, um, what are the economic implications and of, of this? And of course, the irony of, um, you know, um, of the family, uh, the Elliot family being so pompous that they would turn down Frederick Wentworth or for uh, persuade and to turn down Frederick Wentworth when when our story begins, they're um, on the verge of bankruptcy because their um, kind of pompousness and their extravagant spending has kind of got the better of them in some ways and they're forced to rent in a cheaper area. Yeah. They're 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 going to go to Bath, which is cheaper in this time period, which is, so which is hilarious. Um and uh and also, you know, the profligate spending of Walter Elliot, her father, which really kind of accelerated after the death of her mother. So you get a sense that things have kind of fallen apart a little bit in the household when the mother dies because she really was apparently a center. But in some of the some of the adaptations, some of the children who aren't Anne, of course, like there's like a weird like kind of I think it was in the 2007 version or the 2022 version. I can't quite remember, but there was like what, like some of her siblings had like, or like her eldest sibling, Elizabeth, she had kind of like some mean things to say about the mother. Like it sounded like she held some resentment towards her um, mm. and how she kind of clamped down on the family spending habits. But it was just, it was just kind of interesting that that was put in. I forget which adaptation, because again, you know, like, all of these movies, you know, for all their differences, and there are differences, which we will talk about, they kind of hit a very similar plot structure, every single one. And it was really funny to kind of notice it, but it also really, like, you really, they, sometimes they melded together, but at the same time, like, it was funny to hit all the beats, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, classic. But Here then, we go again. But then it, of course, doubled down on the differences, but um regardless so, we should go through the general plot structure shouldn't we yeah that, that well we i think uh, yeah so uh, let's first talk about the overall tone of the three adaptations and then we'll talk about the specifics and how they treat these kind of particular moments so yeah. if we had to characterize the tone of the 1995 adaptation let's just go like one at a time 1995 first yeah I would say it's melancholy. Amanda Root, who plays Anne, just seems like so downtrodden and sad. They really, they use a lot of handheld cam stuff in both the 1995 production and the 2007. I don't know if they're both, it's because they were both BBC productions and they didn't have enough cash to have a tripod or like what the deal was. But there's like a lot of shaky handheld cam in both the 95 and the 2007. I think they're trying to get at kind of a more intimate portrait somehow, yeah. but it doesn't, 
it didn't totally work for me. But in any case, in 1995 is really melancholic in tone. I mean, I think too, like, Anne really feels like uh, just like such, like she's so retreated into herself. Like you can genuinely believe that like, I mean, there's this line that's, it's from the original novel and it's like consistent in all three of them. This is kind of paraphrasing, but this line shows up in all three adaptations. It's a line that kind of goes like, he um, he told me like when he saw you for the first time, he barely recognized you because you were so far changed from what you used to be. And the Anne in the 1995 version very much feels like a shell of a person, you know, in the very beginning of the movie. Like they've done her like she is wearing very minimal makeup in the beginning of the film. So she looks very like kind of gaunt and like pale, which is how she's described in the book. You know, she's described as kind of like this person who used to be pretty, pretty much, um, but who's kind of like retreated into herself. Um, and like, I think that that's so well epitomized by how the, the, the first movie begins. It begins very similarly to the book. The father just kind of Walter Elliott just kind of going off on like this, you know, kind of, um, oh, actually, no, it starts with the Navy, doesn't it? Actually, mm. it starts with a couple scenes of the Navy and of the Admiral who is going to rent out the Elliott's uh, manor. Um, him returning from war because the first movie is actually very um, it's very interested in the, the whole class issue and how that relates to the Navy and like this idea of new money and like old money and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah and Walter Elliott is talking about how he doesn't and this is from the book how he doesn't want these kind of naval people to be renting his house but he really doesn't have a choice because they're declassé in some sort of way that yeah. that you know he's landed gentry but these are people who like made a living by like who have worked for their money well i mean now we think about it in terms of the colonial plunder that they were taking yeah, probably true. but well it was the napoleonic wars yeah so. napoleonic wars but you know the implications of these navy men going all out over the world and acquiring wealth in this way or acquiring wealth through violence and so yeah. walter elliott is just like he he doesn't his distaste he has distaste for that and so he doesn't appreciate these these lodgers coming in so yeah that's the first you see the elliots and but so if the first you see the elliots isn't anne even though she's the main character she kind of scuttles in after her father's kind of started and the camera doesn't even focus in on her like it's kind of just a wide shot and she kind of comes in from off screen and kind of just sits down, you know, because she's such an afterthought, even in her own life, you know, she's so sunk into the background. And then, oh, there's just so many like heartbreaking little things. In this well, in that movie. first scene, they ta are talking just like heedlessly about the fact that they're going to be renting it out to um, Captain Wentworth's sister, uh, who whose name is Sophia and her husband, Admiral Croft. And, Anne's face just completely collapses yeah, because and she recognizes it right away, but her family doesn't even remember anything yeah, to do with and, this episode. And, her and like, and her family's like, oh yeah, she had a brother. What was his name? And they can't remember his name. And she's like, and she kind of whispers that like she can't get the word out. And it's so heartbreaking. She's like, Wentworth, Wentworth. And it's just, ah, it's so good. And it's so heartbreaking. And you really feel her longing and her regret. 
Um, and of, co of course, in that opening scene, th this is consistent in all the movies. Miss Russell's also there. And the next two, um, in both the 2007 and the 2022, Miss Russell, uh, Anne excuses herself, runs away from the situation, and Miss Russell joins her in her room. And they have a little chat, but I don't think that that kind of scene appears in the 1995 version and just kind of suffers through the Yeah, well, and the thing is, is in the 1995 version, it really assumes that you know the novel well. So it just yes, kind of, it, does not it alludes things to, to things, it sketches things out, but it doesn't walk you through the plot at all. And so if you don't know the novel, then there are times in the 1995 one, I think really, you'd be wait, kind of lost. That? Like, like, what's, who's going that? what's going on? Because it's just assumes you've read Who's the novel these relations like why is Wentworth coming over here like it doesn't explain that clearly I think it explains it in passing that his sister is um the wife of the admiral and that's why he's hanging out with Anne's family because the admiral is um so uh you know um but uh beyond that Amanda Root is probably I think she's She's a really good Anne, is all I have to say. She's the closest to what you, at least when I read the book, she's the closest that I imagined to it. And Karen Hines, I think, is oh, actually Karen the Hines. best Captain Wentworth. He is the best Captain Wentworth. Because he plays him as this really, you know, self-made man. He comes in, he seems incredibly self-possessed. He's socially smooth. He knows how to work a room. He's incredibly charming. And, you know, you can understand why uh, Charles Musgrove's like sisters, Louisa and Henrietta are swooning over him because he seems just very a self-possessed, yeah, charming guy. And yeah, he's charming. considerably older because he's supposed to be in his like 30s, you know, so. He's just um, super charming and, you know, like, uh, but, but the way that Kieran Hines plays him is that you know, just he, it's like all a front, you know, like he's, he's charming, but you know, secretly inside he's pining just as much as Anne is. And, that's and he's in total turmoil, total turmoil. And there's so many scenes like of him, like being super like charming, like the dinner scene, which is in every single movie, uh, where the, um, where they're at upper cross, which is the house of, um, the Musgroves. The Musgroves um, and uh, they're eating dinner, they're chatting about, Anne's kind of sinking into the background. She's not really being Or she's included. playing the piano no, no, no. to well, accompany no, no, there's their... this, You know, like in the, in the banquet scene, you know, mm -hmm. she's kind of not really participating that much in the conversation. But like, it just seems the entire time that his focus is so on her. Like he's the only one who can like kind of pick her out of the crowd in that way. And it's just, you really see like how remarkable it is that he was drawn to her and like in the first place. And like, he just really sees her in a way that no one else does, even though she's so far changed from how she used to be. She He's still like absolutely smitten with her. And you can see it, even though he's not like being that, forthright about it you know like it's just in the way in the subtle glances as it always is in these austin adaptations and also in like the way that he's kind of like you know he's speaking to a room of people but really he's just talking to her when he says certain things like he'll make like a jab about like this jab is in all three movies as well but like his the tone of how he says it is different in all three so he uh, wentworth has a line in all three films about how 
um, about how what he wants most in a woman now is um, for her to not be very easily persuaded, for her to have very um, a strong like will and like clear view of what clear she wants. Clear view of what what she wants, and he's you know he's talking to the whole room, but he's really talking just to Anne in that moment. But in the the tone of that line in all three movies feels very different. Like, but and and, and the way Kieran Hines plays it is like very like kind of soft and like not so angry, just sad. He just sad, yeah, sad. Yeah. He's like yeah, but like with a kind of um. He seems still of, charming. Of charmingness, you know? Charming smoothness. It's a joke, but yeah. he, is, he is making a dig at Anne, and he's kind of being coy about it, but there's something more there. Yeah, so in good. the second movie, <laughs> Rupert Penry Jones plays it consistently like he's Angry. Mad. He is yeah. pissed. He's so pissed. And Cosmo him. Jarvis just seems like a wounded puppy in the yeah. in the 2022. But we'll talk about that more later. I mean, but yeah. I would say that Karen Hines... I would say that probably for both of us, we think the best adaptation so far is the 1995 version. Overall, yeah. Overall. I mean, there's some things about the 2007 one I like more. Even the 2022 one has its moments. Um, I'll talk about that later, despite its Serious drawbacks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's not all bad. There are some good things about the 2022 as well, which we'll talk about. My one complaint about 1995, I think, is how... I mean, this is all to preserve the kind of melancholia of it. But um, I think that, like... Well, two things. I think that, like, the movie overall is very quiet. All of the music, I think, or very few pieces of music aren't like diegetic so they're not like music pieces that are literally playing inside the frame the frame you know so it's 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 very tied to like realism in some ways it's very melancholic so sometimes there's and it's very book accurate so sometimes there are scenes that are like okay you know like let's 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 pick this up guys you know and it really assumes even that you the, have read the book you know, and you've yeah. read it recently and you understand already before you watch it it's like kind of a yeah. cliff notes like gesturing towards rather than leading the viewer through the plot it just Definitely. does not do that it assumes you know it yeah um, um and my other complaint would be that i think a lot of like the actors who aren't wentworth and Anne, they kind of sink into the background like they're kind of unremarkable in a lot of ways agreed like, i think that the um side characters in, the dad the, you know the dad the sisters mr elliot i think they can be used to play a lot of comedy I think they can be extremely vivid and fun characters I mean in both the 2007 and I'd even say the 2022 version um yeah (laughs) in the 2022 version they just have such there's a lot of really good actors yeah and we'll talk about (laughs) as the side the actors and the side characters in the 2022 Um, version so the 1995 one in comparison just seems kind of like uh, you have these two really great actors in the key roles but then other than that it doesn't have the same depth of bench as it does in the other versions and you know i mean oh man it's just so satisfying the ending in that 1995 version because I, I love that added scene of her kind of standing up to Miss Russell in the museum scene. That was mm-hmm. a really good use of like just timing and stuff and her standing up to both 
Wentworth and she stands up to Wentworth too. She stands mm. up to both Wentworth and it's an added scene that's not in the book and Miss Russell. And she's like, and she's pretty much like, why is everyone just so like concerned with my life? Like, can you just stay out of my business? Both of you, like, honestly, because Miss, there's a scene in every single adaptation, of course, where Wentworth goes and asks her um, uh, if she is going to marry Mr. Elliot. Oh, I don't think that's in the 22 and 22 version, actually, but it's in the first two movies where Mr. Where Mr. Wentworth, where Wentworth uh, is asking her if she wants to uh, marry, actually marry Mr. Elliot uh, on behalf of the admiral who's still renting out the house. And of course, Mr. Elliot is the heir to the estate. Mm -hmm. um, so he would have to stop renting it. Um, and of course, Wentworth is also asking for himself, you know. Um, but in that 1995 version, instead of just kind of giving him like an, like, an answer, you know, like a yes or no. She's like, stop, just both of you. Like, Lady Russell, you just get out of my business. And it's really cool. Back I mean, off. And it's, and it's really cool and it's really earned, especially because in that first movie, she is such a, like, just shell of a person in the beginning. She really is. I mean, she, you can't emphasize how sad, it's so a, sad Amanda Roots Anne seems. She just seems like... And how, like... I mean, all the joy has been sucked not, out of her. Yeah, I I mean, and they, you know, they purposefully dress her and like make her up to look like homely and like, you know, drab colors. Yeah. And but then towards the end of the movie, you know, like they let her wear some makeup, you know, she has some color in her outfits, you know, and it's just, oh, it's such a good. Oh, and then the one and then she ends so up at the thing that I like in the 95 is she ends up like they show her on the boat. That's how yes. it ends. She she does what yes. because there's a scene that's in some of the adaptations. It's in the book, but it's not in all of the adaptations where Sophia and Admiral Croft, Sophia talks about how much she loves traveling and being with the Admiral and being on a ship. And then in the 1995 adaptation, you see Anne has gone off to sea with Wentworth. With Wentworth and it's really, yeah. it's a nice little, it's just something that her father and her sisters would be absolutely abhorrent of. Like they would hate that. But Anne is just all about that. She's all about breaking down class boundaries, you know? Getting on that ship. Yeah, getting on that <laughs> ship, both figuratively and literally. Oh, uh, and they went there. In the uh, I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Wait, wait, so, but no, one more thing, one more thing. We've talked about this first one for so long, but it's because we love it. We'll be shorter about the next two. We will. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, also in the first one, there's like this kind of through line about class, you know, I mean, and it's a lot more, you know, it's in all the adaptations kind of, um, and at least a little bit, but in this one, it's really the focus of the movie, I think. So it's, it's not only the reason uh, why Mr. Elliot is courting Anne, like very explicitly the reason that he's courting Anne and Mrs. Clay. Um, but it's also like, there's all these added little moments. Like for example, when um, the, um, when Louise, when the Musgroves are visiting Lyme and they meet, um, they meet Wentworth's kind of Navy pals um, and they're staying at like this dingy inn and they're hanging out with his Navy pals. And like, there's like this kind of shot 
where it's very clear that they're kind of judging them because Mm. they're of lower class than them. Like, Mm -hmm. and there's this very, and there's like this thick tension in the room and the very, like, in like the first minute or so, like there's like a crying baby, you know, and it's like a lot dingier and dustier than upper cross. But then Wentworth kind of breaks attention and like, it's like, come on guys. And then Anne is the one who goes up first and is like, Hey, like, how are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's both showing her kind of willingness to cross those kind of class boundaries, but also like really putting a pin on, you know, where Wentworth came from and where the kind of how Navy people are considered in this kind of upper class society. Yeah. 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 Um, Despite his charm, you know, this is where he's from. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's move on maybe now to the 2007 adaptation, which has Sally Hawkins, who you might know her from (laughs) the shape of water, um, who plays Anne and Rupert Penry Jones plays Wentworth. And this was also a BBC adaptation. It was broadcast on television. Um, Oh, oh my gosh. In this version, as um, it's it's pretty good casting, I think. As, um, uh, oh. I would say Sally Hawkins. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll jump in. I think (laughs) Sally Hawkins is a perfectly fine Anne. She has a bit more life to her than Amanda Root. She doesn't seem like she's quite as downtrodden. Yeah, like Um, Amanda Root, I feel like did not smile until like the halfway point of the movie. No, she seemed so (laughs) sad. But, you know, Sally Hawkins has some like kind of happy moments. Um, You know, she's more playful with the children. She's more playful with the children. She's kind of like, the children of her, her, her sister. Yeah. But, you know, she's still very much a wallflower, still very much quiet, still very much sinks into the background to the point that there's this such an extra scene where they're like kind of walking across this like mud pit and Anne just like, whoa, because like no one's there to help her because they've all been focusing on the other women, you know, and Anne's just like there. And so she just tumbles and, but of course Wentworth is hovering over her, but then Charles picks her up and it's like, oh, fine, Charles. But then she has, she always has to have the sprained ankle so then she can take the carriage back or she's tired, yeah. Oh, and they play that so well in the very first movie because he just kind of, she doesn't say anything, but in the first movie, Wentworth just kind of notices that she's feeling tired because he can read her so well. And he kind of whispers to um, the Admiral to not embarrass her um, that she's feeling tired, you know? He just kind of quietly helps her out in that way. But in the other two, it's very dramatic. Like she trips or she is limping very noticeably. And Wentworth is just, yeah. You know, I I think think that's the most effective in the first movie. But anyway, um, in the Sally Hawkins version, you know, the side characters I think are a lot more vivid. There's, there's a lot of like it's if the tone feels slightly more like jolly in some ways because I mean I think where you can find comedy in this in this movie or in in this in adapting persuasion is in the side characters and in like the juxtaposition between them and Anne I think that's where you find so Mary the narcissistic hypochondriacal sister she was weird in the 2007 version yeah she was but she's, she's such a an potential top. place where you can find comedy and the father, Sir Walter Elliot, depending yes. on how he's played. Who was, 
I thought he was very well played by um, Richard E. Grant in 2022. No, I was going to talk about the 2007 first. We'll we'll get to Richard E. Grant. He was amazing, I thought. But in 2007, he was played by Anthony uh, Stewart Head. Oh, that's right. Giles. Giles 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 plays him. Giles from Buffy. Giles from Buffy. And he was good. He's good. He's kind of got a sideline playing like these villainous guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he played a similar part in Bridgerton in in season two and in Merlin. And in Ted Lasso. Yeah. And in Ted Lasso, he plays like these slimy dudes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And as Elliot, um, if you've watched any a period drama or a BBC production, you know this man. uh menses what's his oh tobias tobias menses yes he was an outlander outlander he's in rome he's which is emma's little thing that's just me that's like the thing that i like um that's very niche but um also game of thrones he's like in everything he's like the bbc guy for (laughs) a british television guy for um for these um for these period, uh, period dramas. pieces yeah. yeah so he was of course as always he, he plays a slime ball really well um and and he acquitted himself well as a slime ball yeah William Elliot. he uh he, yeah he, he did a good job this with movie also and it was different in that it really explained things to you um yeah you know unlike the 1995 version it was very good at kind of um you know, you were thrown right into the action from the beginning. She was already kind of doing the books on her uh, to kind of get the house ready for the Admiral to move in. Yeah, they um, were like... You were thrown right into it. Um, and, um, you know, everyone was already at the house. And they were ex- ex- and they were afraid of like a little bit of well-placed exposition, which is always, I think... When exposition is well placed, I think it's just fine. It I was the briskest, brisk. Yeah, it was like an adaptation, hour and like twenty five minutes. Yeah, was, they were in and out. They did yeah. not like. They did not dawdle. You know? They did not dawdle about. No, no. no. So we talk talked a little about bit about them. Anne, who is a bit good. perkier and charming performer, still within the range oh, of what oh, I imagined. We forgot. Anne. I forgot. Her flea bag moments too. Yeah, she. So uh, there were a couple things that the 2022 gets dinged for being like flea bag esque, but some of these conventions were established in 2007. The shaky okay. handheld cam was taken from the 1995 version, but the flea bagging, the kind of breaking the fourth wall and looking at the audience, she does that in 2007. 2007. But, and I, I, don't like it in 2007 either i think it kind of i mean it's it i don't know it just freaks me out honestly well she has a diary no yes exactly and i like the diary i like the diary a lot actually because i mean Anne's inner monologue is a lot of what the book is and so i think the diary is a really good convention to like get narration across without it seeming kind of weird you know I and and I think it like still upholds the tone because this is a sad freaking diary, you know. This is a sad diary that she keeps, um, and of the um, stuff she's lost, of the, the stuff man she's that got lost, away, you know. And um, so I think the diary is fine, but it's the diary and the fourth wall breaks. I'm just like, I mean, she never talks to the camera; she just she kind just of, looks like, at you. looks at you. 
which I think could maybe be effective. But at the same time in this version, like, because it only happens very occasionally. It's not like she does it all the time. So whenever it does happen, you're caught so off guard and you're like, oh my God, Anne, look away. Don't stop <laughs> Don't looking at me. Don't make eye contact with you me. You know, stop looking at me, Anne. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, yeah, but um, I really like the diary, actually. Um, so, yeah, but back to business. Back to um, Wentworth in this movie. I don't like him as much. I think he's more boring. There's less going on there. He's not as good an actor, I think, as Karen Hines. No. It's more like, of a one-note performance. He's just angry. He is angry at her. And that is it. But then also, like, this movie, it does something so appalling in that it... it spoils it for you so they there's two added scenes in this movie where Wentworth talks to his uh kind of naval buddy in Lyme and he talks to him these two times about how much he doesn't want to marry Louisa so there's all these so like the tension for the audience is completely lost because there's these there's this there's a large like extent of time in the in the first movie at least where you're like oh maybe Wentworth did marry Louisa because there's like a fake out plot line you know Anne doesn't know that if she married because we should just explain a little bit so in the book um Louisa and Wentworth they have like this flirtation and then Louisa injures herself herself which we'll talk about later she falls off like the seawall at Lyme when she's jumping and Wentworth doesn't catch her it's all very dramatic but um so then Wentworth uh feels guilty and you get a sense that he might marry her kind of out of guilt or of some kind but and then you get word when Anne's in Bath that Wentworth uh, not that uh, that she married a captain that Louisa is about to marry someone (coughs) that she's about to marry someone from the navy um, and, and Anne assumes, of course, naturally, that it's, Wentworth. that it's Wentworth. But in the second movie, all that tension, I mean, and, and it goes on for a while and she doesn't find out that it's not Wentworth until a lot later. But, 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 but in the second movie, that tension is completely cut because you have these two added scenes of Wentworth talking to his naval buddy and being like, oh God, Louisa sucks. I would never marry that. <laughs> She's the worst, and I only love Anne. And it's just like it cuts the tension, you know. There's never been anyone but Anne. You it's know, like, and it just ruins. Why are you telling me? And this? it ruins that ending letter and his love confession to her. Like it ruins it because it cuts the tension, you know, too yeah, early. It was really misguided. Yeah. So there were some like oh. script writing things and then that were running bad. Through the street. Yes. So then they had to do the obligatory. So basically. Persuasion, the novel, and all these adaptations have some version of um, Wentworth writing a letter to Anne that declares his undying love. And that now might be the time to give you a sense of what this letter is. It's so good. It's so good. I can listen no longer in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. You pierce my soul. I am half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I am too late, that such precious feelings are gone forever. I offer myself to you again with a heart even more your own than when you almost broke it eight and a half years ago. Dare not say that man, sorry, eight years and a half ago. Dare not say that man forgets sooner than woman, that his love has an earlier death. I have loved none but you. 
It's so good. Unjust I may have been, weak and resentful I have been, but never inconstant. You alone have brought me to bath, for you alone I think and plan. Have you not seen this? Can you fail to have understood my wishes? <laughs> and then it goes on. Wait, wait, say, say, do the, do the, uh, give me a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he it's has so a little good. PS after FW. I must go, uncertain of my fate, but I shall return hither or follow your party as soon as possible. A word, a look will be enough to decide whether I enter your father's house this evening or never. And it's so good. <laughs> Because okay, that word a look, it's my favorite part. It like gets me every time. It's just so such effective wording. Um, and it's uh it's because it gets me every time because it's like um uh because it just feels like, you know, she they have been pining after each other for this whole movie. She has been giving him nothing but longing looks this entire movie. And he's and he's basically telling her, This time, when you look at me this time, I will know. You know, and it's just like, oh, oh, it's so good. Um, and but in the 2007. No, but in the 2022 version, they cut the PS. They do cut the PS. And that kills me because it, the PS is my favorite Well, they part. cut all sorts of stuff in the, anyway. But also but, that's a particularly offensive yeah. to Emma. In both the 2007 and 2022, they decide to go full rom-com, which is, Persuasion's really not a romantic comedy. It's too melancholic for that, the novel. But they go full rom-com and have like Anne Elliot running through the streets to try to get to Frederick. It's like, oh no, not that. <laughs> it's so ridiculous in particular in the 2007 version because she runs all through Bath. Like she runs all the way to her friend's house. Her friend gives her a letter from Mr. Elliot. Then she runs all the way back. And then she's she's apprehended by Mr. Elliot, uh, not Elliot, Mr. Uh, Wentworth's friend who hands her the letter from Wentworth then she runs and she reads the letter and she just is running and running all through Bath and then she goes home and then he's like oh he's already gone and then he she runs all the way down <laughs> to the docks you know she's running everywhere this woman just ran through the entirety of Bath and it's just so funny and yeah, ridiculous but the, and then they have the slowest kiss ever in the existence of humanity it takes them forever so to actually lock lips i mean I, I really love the shot too which made, which makes it even better so you just see anne's face in this moment she's looking at wentworth she's just looking up at him and you don't see his reaction to it and then she goes to kiss him and he's just waiting for her you know he just like is waiting and she's just like straining on her tippy toes to get up <laughs> to know. him, you know, and it's so slow. And she's just slowly raising herself up to meet his lips. And it's just so dramatic and drawn out. And it's uh, that's where all the runtime went. I mean, yeah, I know. It's like, in like the, her good, running all the way, all over the place. And of this and... short movie was running through bath and then kissing him yeah the other th well we'll talk about this later but the other thing that's hilarious is that there's certain locations where they film the same place every time so it's like if you're in a persuasion adaptation you will see the royal crescent in bath and you will see like that famous kind of seawall thing in lime you will see both those things um, yeah, you will see the same in the staircase. You will see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just so ridiculous. Anyway. Louisa falls off the same place in every movie. It's so hilarious. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
Um, but okay, anyway, let's talk now about, about 2022. Dakota. Dakota Johnson. So this movie has been much maligned by people who do not like the fact that essentially it's set it's the wine it's set it's in regency yeah it's James set in regency era england the they're still wearing the kind of empire waist dresses and all of that but they update some of the language so you have her saying things like wentworth is her ex or you know talking about her relationship with wentworth as a ship like an actual ship in terms of like <laughs> you know, internet parlance, like and that, this ship is going to sail. But for me and mother, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that that was not what bothered us most about this movie. It wasn't the language. What bothered us most was the fact that Anne and Wentworth, two characters of their own breed, were turned into Lizzie Bennet and Mr. Darcy. Yes! It's like they 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 tried to make them like Dakota Johnson's Anne is sort of quippy and witty and all of this stuff that in the book I mean it's not that Anne doesn't have like an intellect or isn't an interesting person but she's not the same as Lizzie Bennet so this kind of version of Anne is sort of a mashup of Emma and Lizzie Bennet you know yeah and the way that Anne uh, Emma sometimes has social missteps um the Anne in this version does as well and the way that Lizzie Bennett is kind of funny and quippy but also kind of distrustful and like judgmental of people so too is Anne in this movie and it's just it's such a misunderstanding of what Anne is Anne is kindness personified she's so kind she's so patient she's so just nice you know she would never think to like speak out against her family, you know? She would never think to be mean to them, you know? And, and this Anne does. Like there's a dinner scene where this version of Anne um, kind of basically says, oh, Charles wanted to marry me first at a dinner party, which she would never do because it humiliates her sister and her sister's super annoying. And it's not like Anne's a saint. She is irritated by her sister, but, but she, she wouldn't would, do that. No, because she's, She's extremely polite. She's extremely proper. And that's why she's been a wallflower all these years. That's why she's sunk into herself, you know? And that is why it's so remarkable that Wentworth, this hotshot Navy man, picked her out of the crowd and was like, no, I want you. Even I though see you. I see you in a way that no one else does, in the way that your family doesn't, you know? You know, she because she's not out there. She's not funny or quippy. She's not charming. She's not outgoing. Way, you know, she's not charming in the way that Lizzie Bennett is charming. She's quiet and nice. And Wentworth loves her because of that, you know? Yeah. And Cosmo Jarvis, he's an appealing actor. He really is. And he's he's kind of adorable, but he's he has, not. He like, these puppy dog eyes. Like He's not Frederick. Because no, he's a. Darcy. He's he is Darcy. Darcy. He seems so socially awkward. He's written to be so socially awkward and shy and like kind of I mean not so socially awkward, but he has like some moments he where you're like, this like is the really social. Yeah. Because like Darcy is socially awkward in Pride and Prejudice. I mean he To the point that he can come off as kind of rude. To the point he's shy and that to the point where he can come off as rude and imperious when some of it is 
social awkwardness and shyness. Um, he can be a jerk too, Darcy, <laughs> but you know, some of it is social awkwardness. Whereas Frederick Wentworth, he is like, he's good in society. People as, find him charming. As Kieran Hines expertly played him. Yes. You know? Where Cosmo Jarvis, he's not a guy that you would find charming in society necessarily. He's handsome. He's handsome. And he's appealing. kind of adorable, but and, he's and not. Like, oh my gosh. And, and you know, he's, he's kind of like, it's kind of cute how much he likes the Navy and talks about it all the time. You know? Yeah. But it's, He's just not, it's just not the same. Well, there are, and but there are people in the cast who do understand the brief of their character and who do manage to negotiate this weird mashup of like modern and 18th century. That the Louisa was absolutely brilliant. I thought she was really good. Nia Towell is Louisa Musgrove. She was good. And they gave her a lot more to do in the adaptation. I thought she did a really good job. And because of how charming she was, I actually kind of shipped her with Wentworth more than I shipped Anne with Wentworth. Indeed, me too, because they seem to have more chemistry. I also thought that Mia McKenna Bruce as Mary Elliot, she was super annoying, but she really understood that character and like did as good a job as she could with lines like, I'm an empath. What? That was so ridiculous, but whatever. And Henry Golding, as we talked about before, was a really good Mr. Elliot. Very good casting, you know? Yeah, he was great. But Richard E. Grant as Sir Walter. Such good casting. He is the best Sir Walter of the three adaptations we watched. He was so good doing his Richard E. Grant thing, flouncing around in his dressing gown and, and... you know, just being pompous. Being pompous. He campy. Was, it was so good. And campy. He 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 understood the kind of movie he was in. So well, and and how you can bring comedy to a, this type of movie, you know? I mean, it, I thought for all its faults, the 2022 version had an incredible side cast, you know? And that's what makes it all the more frustrating because I think that this cast could have been used really well, but man, like the lead two actors who carry this movie, they just weren't it, Chief. Well, they they were miscast because I haven't seen Cosmo Jarvis in anything, but I just watched Dakota Johnson in Cha Cha Real Smooth on Apple She's TV. She's a good actress. She's a good actor. She is. She she was really good and nuanced in that part, but she's entirely miscast as Anne. She does not seem like a wallflower. She does not seem like someone who's downtrodden she's by life. She's too much of an it girl. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's and, too pretty. Yeah, and the other thing is... It doesn't seem like... She's she's actually older than Anne Elliot's supposed to be, but she seems younger. She because, seems like Bridget Jones or yeah, something. Because of how much light is in her eyes. Do you know what I mean? Like, Anne is supposed to be like... The kind of like she's sinking into the background because she's like she's just like life has left her behind. Yeah, well, her chance is over. Life has left her behind. She's going to be a spinster, and you don't get that sense of being cast aside or downtrodden from Dakota Johnson. Dakota's like single and happy. She's single and ready to mingle, and like it's just like whatever. When she's drinking like wine out of the wine bottle, I just like. Gee oh, and the flea bagification as well. Like, I mean, we shouldn't even call it that because flea bag's so freaking good. Flea bag but- is one of our all-time favorite shows. So 
we worship that show. We've watched it like three, I think three times, three times yeah. at this point. But we love that show. We do love but that what's show. so brilliant about the breaking of the fourth wall in that is that Phoebe Waller Bridge does it for a reason. She she does it for a reason. And I think that there's a better way. I mean, clearly as the 2007 one showed us, there is a better way to do, to kind of like keep in that Anne point of view and to keep in that, some of that Anne narration that's so present in the book, you know, have her write a sad little diary, you know, have her write a sad little diary that can keep both the melancholic tone, but also like show you some of her inner thoughts, you know, at key moments of the plot. Um, instead, the 2022 version chooses to have Anne break the fourth wall, speak directly to the audience, make kind of quips, insult her family, like just be really mean to everyone, like be very Lizzie Benedy and Emma Woodhousey to everyone in her mind palace or whatever. But it just happens. I mean, but then what happens is that she, she, while fleabagging, you know, <laughs> breaks the tension of all of these big dramatic moments. Instead of like with the diary entries, you know, it kept the dramatic tension running, you know, it kept the tone. When she's crying about Wentworth and then she turns to us and she's like, I'm so sad. I'm like so sad. I'm just like, shut up, woman. Shut the <laughs> Get frick up. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Get over she yourself. Just, oh, I just hated her. Yeah, I, just, I, w I was not a fan of her performance as Anne, but I, I mean, think no, part I, of it's I like the script. Dakota. I like Dakota. Please don't come for me. I like Dakota. I just, I didn't like Anne in this movie. Well, I think that the script is the essential problem here because the script didn't, wanted to essentially change the two characters at the center of this narrative. So all the story beats are the same. So you have the financial crisis at the beginning. You have her going to Uppercross. You have the kid falling out of the tree. You've got Lime episode. Yeah. You've got the bath episode and, you know, and Lady Dalrymple. You have all the same kind of beat. You've got the concert at the end. You've got all the same beats. But, and, oh, except... Mrs. Smith, we haven't talked about her. So yes. Mrs. Smith is the friend of Anne that oh. kind of ends up revealing stuff. Oh, and sure. she either plays a bigger or smaller role, depending on how much they want to lean into the class thing. So Mrs. Smith is a friend of Anne's who lived in Bath. And um, she's a widow and has been left basically in like pretty bad financial straits and in part you f you know from the book that it's because um mr william elliott was the executor of the will and like and had been a friend of this guy and it got him into big time debt and then when he became the executor of the will he didn't like really help this widow at all and so he's just a and that and so depending on the adaptation, Mrs. Smith either plays a bigger or a less big role, kind of filling Anne in and gossip and bath, um, but also serving as kind of like a representation, a representation of, of what Anne. can happen to women if they're cast adrift without sure. like appropriate male protection. But in also society. how Anne um, 
is kind of connected to her and like, you know, how Anne again is breaking down class barriers because she chooses to hang out with Miss Smith over Lady Dorimple. And yes, and her family doesn't like that. But I don't think Mrs. Smith, she wasn't in the 2022 version. She was not. She at was all. noticeably present, even though absent. The original, <laughs> absent. Even though in the original version, um, she's the one who reveals Elliot's plot. But instead, in the 2022, I actually didn't mind this that much. In the 2022 version, she just kind of walks past Mr. Elliot making out with uh, Miss Clay in the street. And she's like, oh, whatever. Go, well, go at it, and you two. Mr. Elliot, instead of like being on the DL, I kind of oh, like this too. So this funny. is funny. Instead of being on the DL about his evil plot, he just like comes tells right her. out and tell Anne Elliot. He, he does the villain monologue. He's like, yeah, so I kind of want to make sure that your dad doesn't get with like Ms. this Clay. Mrs. Clay because I don't want and him to have like a child kind of, with her. I want to be a baronet. What the heck? It's so funny because, and he, he just outright tells her and Anne finds it kind of charming. Yeah. And, and then he's, and then he funny. kind of laughs. He's like, I just think it's better to just come out with it rather than to sneak yeah. around. It was like a very so meta moment. It's kind moment. of like an interesting was... subversion of, of like Austin tropes which there are austin tropes you know? oh yeah there's always like some bad Evil guy wentworth who not went not went wickham wickham-esque, wickham-esque kind of dude yeah but it was really funny i thought uh, henry golding did a really good job he did. I loved him. I want to see more Henry Golding. As like evil men. More just in or anything. Just I think he's an incredibly so charming good. performer. I think so too. Yeah. So anyway, um, no Mrs. Smith in the 2022. Um, oh, well, I think what the 2022 version was trying to do to kind of wrap this up a little bit was I think it was very much trying to, you know, capitalize on the kind of vibe of Emma 2020. Yeah. Which I I thought it was trying to copy the tone of just like a lot more messily. Because I thought that Emma 2020 was an extremely solid film. It felt modern and it felt updated, but not bad. (laughs) Not in a bad way. In a very good, fresh nice way you know because it matched the tone of the book all the characters felt true to themselves in a way that some of the other emma adaptations haven't really um knightley was really charming in a way that he hasn't been in a while he didn't feel like a creepy old man um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think that they were trying to capitalize on the vibe of emma while not doing the kind of work to do what was necessary with the script to kind of make persuasion a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, more, a better update, I guess. I don't know. Well, you could do a better update, but I think it was a problem of characterization and tone that there was an essential misunderstanding of the two characters at the heart they didn't want to make it as melancholy as the book actually is. They wanted to turn it into a rom-com. And, and they wanted to capitalize on like the Austin rom-com trend that's happening. Yeah. Well, that's been happening for a long time, yeah. but the, since the nineties persuasion really. doesn't fit as a rom-com. It's, it's her saddest book. It's a sad book. And ultimately it's, it's a story that's more about forgiveness and romance. And I think that it just, 
it misunderstands what's at the heart of this book, that it's about forgiveness and second chances and about older people getting together, more mature people. And when you have Dakota Johnson behaving like a teenager when she's clearly not one, it undermines that kind of issue of being older and wiser. So anyway, go and watch these three adaptations if you have a chance or if you have access to them. It, they are fun. It's fun to go through different approaches. And um, any final thoughts, Emma? I think Karen Hines. Karen Hines. The best Captain Wentworth. Best Captain Wentworth. We agree. Yes. And, and Amanda Root as Anne. Also the best. So the 1995, if you have to watch but one, watch the 1995, but maybe read the novel again first yeah. so you can remember <laughs> or, what's going okay. on. Or do like a double feature, 2007 and then 1995, so you can compare and contrast. And if you want to kind of suffer, hate watch a little bit, 2022. But again, and the side characters are so good. The side characters there is in that. Something to be enjoyed. There's something to be enjoyed in the 2022. The side characters are great. It's not all It's terrible. not all bad. And, you know, it's not like Dakota Johnson and Cosmo Jarvis are bad actors. It's just that they're being ill-served by this particular script. All right. Well, that is all for today. Um and we'll be back at some unknown time with more content. In the meantime, Take care.